A Christmas Carol Carol by Charles Dickens Part two The First of the Free Spirits When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that looking out of bed, he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the pleat walls of his chamber. He was endeavouring to pierce the darkness with his very eyes, when the chimes of a neighbouring church struck the four quarters, so he listened for the hour. To his great astonishment, a heavy bell went on from six to seven, from seven to eight, Irregularly up to twelve, then stopped. Twelve. It passed two when he went to bed. The clock was wrong. An icicle must have got into the works. Twelve. He touched the spring of his repeater to correct his most preposterous clock. His rapid little pulse beat twelve and stopped. Why, it is impossible, said Scrooge, that I can have slept for a whole day and far into another night. It is impossible that anything has happened to the sun. This is twelve, twelve at noon. The idea being an alarming one, he scrambled out of bed and groped his way to the window. <clears throat> he obliged to rub the frost off with his sleeve, with his dressing room, before he could see anything, and could see very little then. All he could make out was that it was still very foggy and extremely cold and there was no noise of people running to and fro and making a great stir, as there unquestionably would have been, if night had beaten off bright day to take possession of the world. This was a great relief, because three days after sight, the first of strange pay to Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge, or his order, so forth, would have been, would have become a mere United States security, if, there were no days to count by. Scrooge went to bed again, and thought, and thought, and thought it over, and over, and over, could make nothing of it. The more he thought, the more perplexed he was, the more he endeavoured not to think, the more he thought. While the ghost bothered him exceedingly, every time he resolved within himself, after mature inquiry, that he was all a dream, his mind flew back again, like a strong spring released, to its first position, presented the same problem to be worked all through. Was it a dream or not? Scrooge lay in his state until the chime had gone three quarters more. He remembered on a sudden that a ghost had warned him of vegetation when the bell told one, resolved to lie awake until the hour was past, considering he could not more, could no more go to sleep than go to heaven. Yes, perhaps. This was perhaps the widest resolution in power. Quarter was not long, but he was more than once convinced he must have sunk into doze unconsciously and missed the clock. At length he bro- it broke upon his listening ear. Ding dong, a quarter past, said Scrooge, counting. Ding dong, half past, said Scrooge. Ding dong, a quarter to it, said Scrooge. Ding dong. The hour itself, said Scrooge triumphantly, and nothing else. He spoke before the hour bell sounded, which it did with a deep, 
skull hollow melancholy one. Light flashed up in the room upon the instant. Curtains of his bed were drawn. Curtains of his bed were drawn aside. I tell you by hand, by hand, not the curtains of his feet, nor the curtains of his back, but those to which his face was addressed. Curtains of his bed were drawn aside, and Scrooge starting up to half recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with an earthly visitor who drew them as close as it it is to it, it, it as I am now to you. I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. It's a strange figure, like a child, yet not like a child, as like an old man viewed through some most supernatural medium, which gave him an appearance having receded from the view, being diminished to child proportions. His hair which hung about his neck, down its back was white, as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it. The tenderest bloom was on the skin, the arms are very long and muscular, the hands the same, as if her, its hold were uncommonly, were of uncommonly strength. Its legs and feet were delicately formed, where, like most those upper lip members, bare. It wore a tunic of the finest white, and round its waist was bound a luminous belt, sheen which was beautiful. It held a branch of fresh green holly, his hand in singular contradiction, that wintry emblem, had its dress trimmed with summer flowers. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprang a bright clear jet of light, by which all this was visible, which was doubtless the occasion of it using in its duller moments a great extinguisher for a cap which it now held under its arm. Even this, though, when Scrooge looked at it, was increasingly increasing steadiness was not its strangest quality. For it, for as its belt sparkled and glittered, now in one pot and now in another, what was light one instant, at the other time was dark, so the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness, being now a thing with one arm, now one leg, now with twenty legs, now a pair of legs without a head, now a head without a body, all of which was dissolving parts. Now that line would be visible in a dense gloom. Then they melted away in the very wonder of this. It would be itself again distinct and clear as ever. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me, said Scrooge? I am. The voice was soft and gentle, singularly low, as if, as if instead of being so close beside him, it were at distance. Who are, who and what are you, Scrooge demanded. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past, cried Scrooge, observant of its jewel-fish statue. No, your past. Perhaps Scrooge could not have told anyone why, if anyone would have asked him. But he had a special desire to see the spirit in his cap and begged him to be covered. What? exclaimed the ghost. Would you so soon put out with worldly hands the light they gave? It's not enough that you are one of those whose passions made this cap and forced me through whole trains of years that were it low upon my brow. 
Food reverently disclaimed all intention to offend or uh, or any knowledge of having willfully bonneted the spirit any period of his life. He then made bold to inquire what business brought him there. Your welfare, said the ghost. Grouge expressed himself much obliged, but he could not help thinking that a night of unbroken rest would have been more conductive to the end. The spirit must have heard him thinking, for it said immediately, Your reclamation then, take heed. He put, on its, put out its strong hand as it spoke, and clasped him gently by the arm. Rise and walk with me. It would have been in vain for Scrooge to plead, and whether the hour were not adapted to predatory and prosperous, bed was warm and temperature way below freezing. If Claire went lightly in slippers and a dressing gown, nightcap, he had a cold upon him at the time. A grass, though gentle as a woman's hand, was not to be resisted. He rose, but finding spirit made towards the window, grasped his robe in separation. I am mortal, Scrooge, when it remonstrated. I lie but a fall. There, but touch my hand there, said the spirit, laying it upon his heart. And you shall be upholding more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. The city entirely vanished, not a vestige of it was was to be seen. The darkness and the mist had vanished with it. There was a clear, cold winter day with snow upon the ground. Good heaven, said Scrooge, grasping his hands together. as He looked about him. I had bred in this place. I was a boy here. I am but mortal. I am mortal, Scrooge remonstrated, and able to fall. Bear but to touch of my hand there, said Spirit, laying it upon his heart, and you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road with fields in either hand. Did he entirely vanish? And a vestige had been seen, the darkness of the mist vanished. With it, as it was a clear, cold winter's day, the snow upon the ground, Good heaven, said Scrooge, clasping his hands together. He looked about him. I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. The ghost spirit grazed upon him mildly. His gentle touch stole it. He was light and entertainingness. Peed still present to the old man's sense of feeling. He was conscious of thousand odors floating in the air. Each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares long, long forgotten. Your lip is trembling said the ghost. And what is that upon your cheek? Scrooge muttered with an unusual catching of his voice. And that is a pimple. It begged the ghost to lead him where he would. Will you collect the way? inquired the spirit. Remember it said, cried Scrooge with favour. I could walk it back with old blindfold. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years, said the ghost. Let us go on. They walked along the road, Scrooge recognising every great, the post and tree, until a little market town appeared, the distance with its bridge, a church and winding road. So shaggy ponies now been, were now seen trotting towards them, with boys upon their tracks, backs, who called to other boys in country gigs and carts driven by farmers. All the boys were in great spirits, they shouted to each other, until the bold fields, so full of merry music, 
Chris here laughed to hear it. The, but these are but shadows of the things that, that have been, said the ghost. They have no conscious, consciousness of us. The checker code travellers came on. As they came, Scrooge knew and named them every, named them, them every one. Why was he rejoiced beyond all bounds to see them? Why did, did his cold eye glisten? His heart leaped as if they went past, as they went past. Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them give each other a Merry Christmas, parted crossroads and byways for their, for their several homes? What was Merry Christmas to Scrooge? How to put upon Merry Christmas? What good had it ever done to him? A school is not quite deserted, said Scrooge. Solitary child, neglected by his friends, is still, is left there still. Scrooge said he knew it, and he stopped. He left the high road by the well-remembered lane and soon approached a mansion of dull red brick with little weather clocks surmounted, cupola, and a roof and bell hanging in it. The large house, but one of broken functions for the spacious offices, were little used. The windows were damp and mossy. The windows broken, the gates decayed, bells clucked and strutted in the stables. A coach has its shed overrun the grass, nor was it was it more retentive of this, of this ancient state within for entering the dreary hall, glancing from the open doors of many rooms, they found him poorly furnished, cold and vast, as earthly savour in the air, a chilly bareness in the place, showed itself somehow, in too much getting up by candlelight, and not too much to eat. They went, the ghost, Scrooge, and Scrooge across the hall, a door at the back of the house. He opened before them, disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room, more bare still by lines of plain deal forms and deaths. At one, there was a, there was a lonely boy who was reading upon a feeble fire. Scrooge sat down upon a form and wept to see his poor forgotten self as he used to be. Not an then meant echo in the house, not a squeak and shuffle from the mouse behind the panelling, not a drip from the half-forded photo spout in a dull yard behind, not a sign among the leafless brows one despondent poplar, not the idle swing of an empty storehouse door, no, not even crack clicking in a flyer that fell upon the heart of Scrooge his softening influence and gave a freer passage to his tears. The spirit touched him on the arm and pointed to his younger self, intent upon his reading. Suddenly a man in foreign garments, wonderfully real, distinct, took to look at, stood in outside the window with an axe struck in his belt, and leading by the brindle, and eyes laden with much wood. Why, it's Alibaba, Scrooge exclaimed in ecstasy. It's dear old honest Alibaba, yes. Yes, I know. One Christmas time, a yonder solitary child was left here. All only did come the first time just like that. Poor boy in Valentine, said Scrooge. And his wild brother, wholesome. There they go. And what's his name? Who was put down in his drawers asleep. Gate to Dramaticus. Did you see him? And the soldier's groom turned upside down by the genie. There he is upon his head, serving right. I'm glad of it. 
What business had he to marry, be married to the princess? And to hear Scrooge expending all the earnest of his adventure was on, on such subjects in a most strongly voice between laughing and crying. And had to see his heightened and side face would have been a surprise his business friends said he indeed. There's the parrot, cried Scrooge, green body of yellow tail, a thing like a lettuce growing out of the top of his head. There he is, poor Robinson Crusoe, he called him. When he came home again after sailing round the island, poor Robinson Crusoe, where have he been? Robinson Crusoe, man thought he was dreaming, but he wasn't. It was a, a, the parrot, you know. There the, goes Paraday, running for his life on a, to the little creek. Halula, hooper, hooper, lula. And we rapidly transition, every, very foreign to the, his usual character. He said in pity for, for his former self, poor boy, and cried again. I wish, Scrooge muttered, putting his hand in his pocket, looking about him, after drying his eyes through his cuff, but it's too late now. What is the matter? asked Scrooge, spirit. Nothing, said Scrooge, nothing. There was a boy seeing Christmas Carol, and, your, and my daughter last night. I should like to have given him something, that's all. The ghost smiled thoughtfully, and waved his, his hand. Saying as he did so, let us see another Christmas. Scrooge for myself grew larger in the words. The room became a little darker, more dirty. Panels shrunk, the windows cracked, the fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling, and naked lanes were shown instead. And how all this was and how this was brought about, Scrooge knew no more than you do. And he knew that it was quite correct that everything happened so and that there he was alone again, when all the other boys had gone home for jolly holidays. He was not reading now, but waking up and down despairingly, Scrooge looked at the ghost with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced anxiously towards the door. It opened, and a little girl much younger, the boy, came dancing in, putting her arms around his neck, by his neck, and often kissing him, addressing him as her dear, dear brother. I have come to bring you home, dear brother, said the child, clapping the tiny hands, bending down to laugh, to bring you home, home, home. Home, little friend, returned the boy. Yes, said the child, glee with a glee. Home for good and all. Home for ever and ever, father. So much kinder than we used to be. Home's like heaven. You speak so gently to me one my dear night. I was going to bed. I was not afraid to ask you once more. He might come home. He said, yes, you should. He sent me in the coach to bring you. You'll be a, be a man, said the child. I opened her eyes, and you'll never have to come back here. At first, we'll be, we'll, we'll have to be together all Christmas long, had the merriest time in all the world. You're quite a woman, little friend, exclaimed the boy. She clapped her hands and laughed and tried to touch his head. But being too little, laughed again, stood on tiptoe to embrace him. Then she began to drag him in a childish eagerness towards the door. He, nothing loath to go, accompanied her. Terrible voice in the hall called, Bring down Master Scrooge's box there. In the hall appeared the schoolmaster himself, who glared on Master Scrooge with ferocious consentation. And threw him into a dreadful state of mind by shaking hands with him. He then conveyed him, his sister, 
into the various old well of shivering best parlour that ever was seen, with the mats upon the wall and the crystal, terrestrial and terrestrial globes, windows waxy and cold. There he produced a decanter of curiously light wine, a block of curiously heavy cake, mixture of installments of those dainties to the young people, at the same time spending not a minute out, out a mere meagre servant off a glass or something to the postboy who answered that he, he who answered that he thanked the gentleman, but if he it was the same tap he had tasted before, he rather not. A Scrooge trunk being by this time tied on the top of the clutch chasse, the children bade the children master goodbye, night right widdly, and getting on into it, drove gaily down the garden sweep, the quick wheels dashing the hoar frost, the snow from off the dark leaves, and evergreens like spray. So she had, cried Scrooge. You're right, I'm not against say it. Bert, God forbid. She died a woman, said the child. Said the ghost, and I had, as I think, children. One child Scrooge from that returned. True, said the ghost, your nephew. Scrooge seemed uneasy in his mind, and answered briefly. Yes, though they had but the moment left the school behind them. They were now in the busy thoroughfares, city where shadowy passengers. Pass and repass, where shadowy carts and coaches battled over the way, all the strife and tumble of the city were. It may plain enough by the dressing of the shops, and here too it was Christmas time again. But it was evening, and the streets were lighted up. Ghost stopped at certain warehouse door, and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Know it? said Scrooge. I was an apprentice here. He went in and sighted an old gentleman, Welsh wig. Sitting behind such a huge desk, he had been two inches taller, he might have knocked his head against the ceiling. Scrooge cried in great excitement. Why, it's old Frederick. Bless his heart, is Frederick alive again? Old Frederick laid down his pen and looked up at the clock and pointed to the hour of seven. Rubbed his hands, adjusted his copious waistcoat, laughed all over to, all over to himself with his shoes to his organ. Of benevolence and called out a comfortable, oily, rich, fat, jovial voice. Yo ho there, Ebenezer Dick. Gruder informed himself now ground. Only a young man came briskly in, coming by his friend and apprentice. Dick Will Wilkins, to be sure, said Scrooge to the ghost. Bless, bless me, yes, there he is. He is very much attached to me with Dick. Poor Dick, dear, dear. Oh, my boy, said Frederick, no more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Dick. Christmas, Ebenezer. Let's have the shutters up. Right old Frederick with a sharp clap. His hands before a man. You say Jack Robinson. They wouldn't believe how those two fellows went at it. They charged in the street with the shutters. One, two, three, had them up in their places. Four, five, six, barred them and pinned them. Eight, nine, seven, eight, nine. And came back before they could have have got to twelve panting like racehorses. Hey ho! said old Frederick, skipping down for the high desk, high, high desk, and wonderfully with virginity. Keep away, my lads! Let's have lots of room here. Hey ho! Dick, cheer up! Chin her up! 
Japanese art. Clear away of nothing they wouldn't have cleared away or couldn't have cleared away. For old Frederick looking on, done in a minute. Every movable was packed off as if it were diminished from public life. For every more, the flowers was swept and water and lamps were trimmed. Fuel was heaped upon the fire. A warehouse is snug and warm and dry, sight the ballroom as would desire to see on a winter's night. There came up a fiddler that from with a musical book a music book went up to the lofty desk and made an orchestra of it. Turned the fifty stomach aches. In came Mrs. Fredwick, one most first vertebrate, substantial smell. In came the three of Mrs. Fredwick's, beaming and lovable. In came those six young fellows whose hearts they broke. In came all the young men and women employed in business. In came the housemaid with her cousin, the baker. In came the cook with her brother's peculiar friend, the, the milkman. In came the boy from over the way who was suspected of not having bored enough for his master, trying to hide himself behind the girl from next door, but one who has proved to have her ears pulled by her mistress. If they, they, in they all came, one after another, some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing, some pulling, all in, all, they all came anywhere, anyhow and everywhere. Away they all went, twenty couples, couple once, hands half round and back again, halfway to down the middle, and up again, round and round in various stages, affectionate grouping, grouping, old top, couple always turning up at the wrong place every top couple starting off again as soon as they get there all top couples at last not a bottom one to help them when this result was brought about old frisbeck clapping his hands to the darts cried out well done the fiddler plunged his hot face into pot of porter especially provided for the purpose but scorning rest Upon his appearance, he sleep began again. There was no dancers yet, as if the other friend had been carried home, exhausted on a shutter. He were a brand, brand new man, resolute to beat him out of sight or perish. There were more dances, there were more forfeits, there were more dances. There was a cake, there was a ro- ro- roasters, there was a giant piece of cold roast. Cobras, there was a giant piece of cold beef, cold boiled. There was a mince pies and plenty of beer, but the greatest effect. The evening came after the voice of the burial. The fitter, an awful dog, mind the art of man who knew his business better than you or I could have told it to him, struck up so well, rejoined to court probably. And old Frederick stood out to dance with Miss Frederick. Top couple two, with a good stiff piece of work, cut out with her for them. Three or four and twenty pair of partners, people who were not to be trifled with, people could dance and had no notion of walking. Mr. Fedwick's ball, but it had been twice as many, ah, four times. Old Fedwick would have been a match for them, and so would Mrs. Fedwick. As to her, she's worthy to be his partner in every sense of the term. If that's not high praise, tell me higher, and I'll use it. 
The positive light appeared an issue from Hirschwig's calves. It shone in every part of the dance like moons. They couldn't have predicted any given time that would have become of them snakes. Then old Friswick and Miss Fredwick had gone all through the dance, advanced and retired, both hands to your partner, bowed a curtsy crookscrew, thread the needle and cut back again to your place. Fredwick cut, cuts her differently, differently. He appeared to wink with his legs and came upon his feet again without a stagger. When the clock struck eleven, the domestic all broke up. Mr. and Mrs. Fedwick took the station one on the other side of the door, shaking hands with every person individually as he or she went out, wished him or her a great Merry Christmas, and everybody returned the two princesses. They did the same to them. And thus the cheerful voices died away. The lads were left to their beds, which were under a counter in the back shop. During the while of this time, Scrooge had acted like a man at which his heart and soul were in the scene with his former self. He corroborated everything, he remembered everything, enjoyed everything, and underwent a strange irritation. It was not until now, when the bright faces of your former self and Dick returned from him, that he remembered the ghosts and became conscious he was looking full upon him. Well, the lights put... Put his head burnt, put his head burnt every very clear. A small matter, said the ghost, to make those full folks so full of gratitude. Small, crackled Scrooge, the spirit sighed to him. They listened to the two apprentices who were now pouring out their hearts in praise of Fredwick. When he had done so, I said, Why is it not he has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, free of four perhaps? It had that too much, so much, he deserves his praise. It isn't that, said Scrooge, he did by remark. And speaking could contradict his former, not his latter self. Is that, isn't that spirit? He was a power to render us happy or unhappy, make our service light or burdensome, as pleasure or as toil. Say that his power lies in words and looks and things impossible. I find that it's significant, that it is impossible to add and count them up. And it, what then? Happiness he gives is quite as great as if it could cost a fortune. He felt the spirit's glance and stopped. What is the matter? asked the ghost. Nothing particular, said Scrooge. Something, I think, the ghost insisted. No, said John Scrooge. No, I should not know. I should like to be able to hear it say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. He found myself turned down. The lamps as he gave utterance to the wish. Scrooge and the ghost again stood side by side in the open air. My time grows short, observed the spirit. Quick, not address to Scrooge, nor or any, to any of whom he would see, could see. They produced an immediate effect. But again, Scrooge saw himself. His older now, a man of prime life. His face had not the harsh and vivid lines of late years. Began to wear the signs of care and of avarice. With an eager, greedy, restless motion in the eye, which showed a passion that taken root, as well as shadow of the growing tree would fall. He was not alone, but sat in the side of a fair young lady, a young girl in morning dress, and in whose eyes there were tears which sparkled in the light that shone out of the ghost of the Christmas past. It matters little, she said softly, to you very little. 
Another idol you displace me, so it can cheer and comfort you in time to come. As I would have done to you, I had tried to do, I know just calls to grievance. What idol display has displaced you? He rejoined a golden one. This is even handed, dealing on the world, he said. There's nothing on which is so hard as poverty. There's nothing that professes to condemn with such severity the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much, he said. I said gently, all are your hope of hopes of merged into this hope being beyond the chance of its solid approach. A scene of nobler aspirations fall, one by the one, till the master passion gain engrosses you, have I not? What then, are you taughted? Even I have grown so much wiser. What then, am I not changed towards you? She shook her head, no, my. A quantum is not one. A maid is made when we both poor and content to be so, till in good reach season. We could improve our worldly fortune by a patient venture. We are changed. You are changed. It is me. You are another man. I was a boy, he said to Richard Pagey. Your own feeling tells you that you were, you were not what you are. He turned. I am what I am. What that which promised happiness when we are in one, we're one in heart. It fought with misery now. We are two. How often and how keenly. I have thought of this. I will not stay enough. I ever thought of it. And can release you. Have I sought release in words? No. Never. And then what then? And change nature and an adulterated spirit. Whatever atmosphere of life, another hope, the great end of everything. And may my love of any worth or value in your sight. If it ever if this had never been between us, said the girl looking mildly. But I said this upon him, tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me back with me now? I know he seemed to yield to the justice, the superstition, in spite of himself, but he said with a struggle, you cannot think not. I would gladly think otherwise if I could, so he answered. Heaven knows, but when I have learned in truth like this, I know how long, strong and irresistible it must be. But if you are to free to... But free today, tomorrow, yesterday. Can I even believe that you would choose a downless girl who, in every confidence of her, weigh everything by gain of choosing her? For a moment, you have force enough, your own guiding principle, to do so. No, do not know that your repentance and regret would surely follow. I do, I release you with full heart for the love of him. You were once were. I about to speak, but with her head turned from him, she resumed. You may remember what this past half makes me hope that you will. A pain in this, a very, very brief time, but you will dismiss a recollection of it. Gladly is an improbable dream, on which it happened well. Well, where do you awake? Woke. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. She left him and they parted. Spirit said Rouge. Jeremy no more, conduct me home. Why do you delight to talk to me? One more shadow more, sleeve the ghost. No more, cried Scrooge. No more, I don't wish to see it. Show me no more. But a reckless ghost painted him in both his arms and forced him to observe what happened next. 
Have you ever seen a pace of room, not very large or handsome, but full in comfort? Nearer to Winterfire sat a beautiful young girl, so like that last that Scrooge believed it was the same until he saw her. Now a comely, comely matron, sitting opposite to her daughter. The noise in the room was perfectly tremendous, for there were more children there. And Scrooge, in his undertaking state of mind, could count, and like the celebrated herd in Crowley, it was after forty children conducting themselves like one. But every child was conducting itself like forty. The consequences were uproaring beyond belief, and no one seemed to care. On the contrary, the mother and daughter, Legend Hartley, Lars Hartley, enjoyed it so very much, the latter, soon beginning to mingle in the sports, but pillaged by the young brigands most ruthlessly. What would I not have given to be one of them, though I never could have been so rude? No, no, I wouldn't for the wealth of all. A world of crushed and braided hair, and turn it down, torn it down, the precious little shoe. I wouldn't have plucked it off. God bless my soul to save my life, as to measuring her waste and sport. As he did, bold young brood, I couldn't have done it. If it, I should have expected my arm to roam round it for punishment and never come straight again. Yet I should. How dearly liked I own to have touched her lips to have questioned her. He might have opened them to have looked upon lashes of her dark cast eyes and ever burnt reached a brush to have let loose waves of hair an inch of which would be keepsake beyond price. In short, I should have liked to confess to have had the lightest license of a child, yet to have been man enough to know its value. But now a knocking at the door was heard, such a lash immediately ensued, as a laughing face and plundered dress, plundered dress was borne towards it, sent a flush and boisterous group, just in time to greet the father, who came home attended by a man, laden with Christmas toys and presents, and shouting and struggling. The onslaught was made on the defenceless porter, and scaling him with the chairs for the ladders to dive into his pockets before him. Of paper, brown paper parcels, hold on tight to his cravat, hug him around his neck, pummel his back, and kick his legs in impressible affection. The shouts of wonder and delight in which the development every parcel was received. Tell announcement that a baby had been taken at putting a baby's baby taken in the act of putting a doll's frying pan in his mouth. And more than suspected being swallowed of vicious turkey, glued on water on platter, the immense relief of hiding is a false alarm of joy and gratitude and ecstasy, and they all indescribable like enough that by degrees a child, children and emotions, grow out of the parlour one stair at a time, up to the stop of the house where they were went to bed and so subsided. Now Scrooge looked on more intently than ever than the master of the better house, having his daughter leaning firmly on him, sat down with her and her mother at his own fireside, where he thought that as such another creature, quite as graceful and as full as promise, might have taken him further. Her courtly father, being a springtime in the haggard winter in life, his sight grew very dim indeed. Bell, said the husband, turning into his wife with a smile. I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Who was it? Guess. How can I? Tut. Don't uh, you know? 
she added with the same breath, laughing as he laughed. Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge it was that passed his window. Of his window, he is not shut up. He had a candle side. Could clearly help him see. Could help him see him. Part lies upon the point of death. Here, he sat alone, quite alone in the world, do I believe, so I do believe. Great, said Scrooge in a broken voice. Remove me from his face. I told you these were shadows of things. They've been, said the ghost. They are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me, Scrooge exclaimed. I cannot bear it. He turned upon the ghost and seeing that it looked upon him with a face, which in some way there were fragments of all the faces had shown him, wrestled with it. Lie me, take me, Mac, hold me no longer. A struggle, it can be called a struggle, which the ghost, no visible resistance, thrown apart, was undisturbed by any effort with adversary. Scrooge observed with its light, the burning high and bright and firmly connecting that with its influence over him. He seized his extinguisher's cap and by a sudden action pressed it down upon his, upon its head. The spirit dropped beneath it so that the extinguisher covered it, its whole frame. Form. But those screws pressed it down with all his, with all his force, could not hide the light which steamed from under it in an unbroken flood upon the ground. So unconscious of being, of being, he was unconscious of being exhausted and overcome with his irresistible groundless, further being his own, of being in his own bedroom, gave the cap a parting squeeze in which his hand relaxed and barely tied the steering to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep.